Well, in these last couple of weeks, we have had some great uh, messages that if you haven't had a chance to listen to, I'd encourage you to go online and to have a listen to them. Uh, Nathan Hildebrand, a number of weeks ago, talked about our faith, and if our faith is boring, that maybe we need to take a million-dollar risk and step out in ways that God is calling us to. Also, a few weeks ago, Gil Clausen spoke about three stories and how our story connects with God's story and how as we also involve ourselves in the lives of other people's story, that there is something powerful in that as we introduce people to God's story. And then two weeks ago, Jody, my daughter Jody and I had a chance to preach, which was a real privilege, and we talked about faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And then last week, uh, Maureen spoke on dreaming of more so that all will know. And as I've been reflecting on just these messages over the last weeks, even though we're in a summer time in August here where we're not on a specific series, what, what struck me was that there was kind of a theme that is weaving through some of these messages. And that, that theme for me was about walking in faith-filled obedience, about walking in obedience to God in a way that actually stretches our faith and, and calls for faith to take a bigger risk and to step out in ways that maybe makes us uncomfortable, but in ways that God is calling us to. Faith is a primary core value for us as a church. And when we think about faith, we are talking about the fact that there is an object to our faith in terms of God and who He is, but then there's also a response that is required to that. That we are called to live a risk in, in terms of risk-taking obedience, to live in faith-filled obedience in response to that living God, the one that we worship. So today I want to have us reflect a little bit on on a core mandate of the church that I think ties in with some of this theme that has been threading through these last couple of weeks. And it's it's a core mandate not only of our church, but of every church. It's the central calling and actually the reason for existence for a church. And sometimes it's, it's something that we talk a fair bit about, but it's not always something that we necessarily do really well or even understand well. And so I, I wanted to have us reflect on this again today as reminders about discipleship. Discipleship is the core calling of the church. It's the key thing that we have been called to do and to be. And so that's what we want to talk about here today. I wonder how many of you are familiar with the names uh, Chris Farley and John Belushi. You can put up your hands if you want. Yeah, I see those hands. Some of you just aren't admitting to that. And partly because maybe you know some of their story or some of their history, but these two are very well-known comedians uh, in their own era. They have both since passed away. Uh, One of them, Chris Farley, in 1997. The other, John Belushi, in 1982, much earlier. Farley was uh, one who was very involved in Saturday Night Live, was involved in lots of different movies, uh, was regarded as one of the funniest comedians of his time. John Belushi took a similar path. He was also one of the funniest comedians of his time, also involved in Saturday Night Live and making of many movies as well. And in many ways, you could say that Chris Farley was a disciple of John Belushi. In fact, Chris Farley was actually quoted at one time uh, as he was in a conversation in an interview and talking about how much he admired John Belushi and how much he tried to kind of pattern himself after him and how he looked up to him as mentor. And he said this, he says, I actually, I want to be like him in every way. Those were his words. 
They followed similar career paths. They both struggled with obesity. They both had a reputation for wild living. And sadly, John Belushi died way too young of a drug overdose at 33 years of age in 1982. And it's kind of informative and also tragic that years later, after a night of partying, Chris Farley was found dead in his apartment of a drug overdose at the age of 33. And I, I, I listen to that story, and I, I look at that, and I go, hmm. You know, we all follow someone. We all are influenced by something. We all have someone that we sort of put in front of us that we, we kind of look to, and we say, okay, you're somebody that I want to follow. You're somebody that I, I want to sort of emulate my life after. Because, you see, a disciple is somebody who is shaped by and follows the footsteps of another. And so the question, I think, for us, one question for us this morning is to simply assess and ask ourselves, uh, who is it that we're following? What is it that is influencing our lives? What is it that is shaping our lives? Who is it that is shaping our lives? Are we aware of that? Are we being intentional in that? Are we intentional in our discipleship of not only who we are being discipled by, but also who we are discipling in terms of how are we are discipling others? Because you see, while everyone is a disciple of someone or something, not all discipleship is transformational. Not all discipleship leads to a good path. And I was thinking of, of a story that I remember seeing a long time ago about this couple, this elderly couple who followed their GPS and they followed it into the mountains in the United States and they got so lost and they actually died of exposure because they were following a wrong or a faulty GPS signal. So when we follow certain things, we don't always get to the destination that we want. I remember it was a number of years ago, and there was three of us. It was Eric Braun, Carson Hagee, and myself. And we were in Atlanta at a conference. And we were staying at a hotel. And the conference was at a church. And every day for four days, I think it was, we went from the hotel to the church and back. And what was interesting about this is three bright guys, I'll be generous and just say that, We got lost every single time we went from the hotel to the church. Every time. And we're looking at each other going, okay, what is going on? And we're not sure exactly who's leading, and we probably argued about who we were listening to and who we were following. I don't even remember who was driving. But it was just this irony that three grown men would go the same path, or what we thought was the same path, and we could get lost every single time. It was quite disheartening. But we need to pay attention to who we're following. We need to pay attention to what it is that's guiding our life. What it is that is placing us in a certain path. You know, in the New Testament, the word that is used for disciple actually means pupil. It means apprentice. So it's somebody who is teaching another. Jesus invited his disciples to follow me. That's what he said. Come and follow me. Walk in my footsteps. Do as I do. And again, this is the central mandate of the church, this call to discipleship. It's to be the normal agenda and the priority of every church and every Christian, every believer. And yet I think at times we have this nagging feeling. We sort of wonder, okay, how well are we doing at that? Maybe something's missing. I talk to church leaders all the time who have this same struggle, these same questions, these same wonderings, knowing that this call to discipleship is there for each one of us, but wondering how well are we doing? How well is it that we are doing? 
And we know that it's critically important because if this is the central mandate of the church, and if the church is deficient in the central mandate of discipleship, then we have a problem. And so we have to continue to ask ourselves, is, is our fundamental reason for existence doing okay? Is it doing well? Because you see, if any organization is careless about its core reason for existence, then excelling at other things doesn't really matter. And so we have to keep asking ourselves, as a church and as individuals, how well are we doing at this mandate of discipleship? I know we're asking those questions in the Saskatchewan Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches. There's lots of conversations happening there. It's happening on the Canadian conference level as well. I know that I'm at the end of September, I'm going to this uh, gathering, and it's, it's called a national discussion on discipleship. And so this conversation is something that's very prevalent. As I talk to individuals, and I talk to youth, young adults, people of, that are my age, and, and so on, people have a lot of those questions as well, too. How do we do discipleship better? What is discipleship? Am I being a disciple? Am I discipling others? Those kinds of questions. Over the past year, as a staff here at the church, we've also been wrestling with those questions. Probably for the last two years, we've been asking a lot of questions around that. And it was at the staff retreat, and I've shared this before, in in June 2015, where the the challenge that I gave our staff was, okay, we're not going to come away from here until we actually have some clarity, some more simplicity, and some handles about what discipleship can look like for our church. So that people can actually sort of grab onto some things and and sort of grab onto some things that will help us to understand what discipleship might look like. And so we came up with these four discipleship steps, and I think we have them there in front of you. And they come straight out of our our mission as a church, how we describe our mission as a church, to be a covenant community that loves God, disciples one another, and reaches out from the river to the ends of the earth. And we use that as our starting point. We say, well, if that's our mission, let's use that. Now, how do we sort of boil that down a little bit, take it down a notch, a little bit more practical where the rubber hits the road, and, and if we could actually encourage people to take steps of discipleship. Not that they're linear or sequential, but if, if you're going to be a disciple or discipling others, what are some things that you can do? And these are the four that we landed on with actually a fair bit of excitement and unity and have been talking about them as a church even for the whole last year. And so hopefully this isn't too new to you, but a reminder. And so we said, you know, one of the things you have to do in discipleship is create community because discipleship doesn't happen in isolation and just with individuals. You have to be in community. To love one another, serve one another, uh, encourage one another, pray for one another. The fruit of the Spirit, it happens in community, and it's so important. And there's so many different ways that you can create community, and so we have to be intentional about that. And, and then secondly, do we, do we know, have we experienced and do we model the love of Jesus? Because if we haven't experienced the love of Christ in anything that we do as discipleship or proclaiming and teaching about the gospel and who Jesus is, is, is really just marketing. But if we have experienced the love of Christ, and if we have an intimate relationship with the living God, then we have something actually to offer. And as we model that, then others have a path to follow if they just look at our lives. And then thirdly, this broad area of just training one another in obedience, and that that word obedience being so important there, that, that we are called to live in obedience to Christ. And we have to train one another, whether it's Training people how to, how to pray together. Training people how to lead a small group. How to share your testimony. How to serve in, in a different ministry. I mean, training is limitless in terms of the different places and applications that that can go to. And then the last one, that we are called to both serve others and proclaim the gospel. And often we make this 
false dichotomy of these two and we say that it's one or the other, but, but how it's these two things held in tension that we have to do these simultaneously, that we have to truly serve others, whatever that means, whether it's giving a cup of cold water, whether it's giving clothes to those who don't have that, whether it's feeding the hungry, helping those who have need or are vulnerable. But then it's also proclaiming the gospel and that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do those each together at the same time. And as we kind of landed these steps, what we, what we recognize and we acknowledge is that these aren't exhaustive. They don't capture everything. They're probably not perfect. But the question we asked ourselves is, are they helpful? Did they actually help us to take a step? And so one of the things I would ask you as you come through this morning is to ask yourself that question. Are these helpful to take a step in a certain direction in discipleship? I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 in your Bibles, and we're going to look at the foundational text for discipleship that I want to have us focus on today, and you'll see a number of our steps coming out of there as well, too. Matthew 28, at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 16, we see that text that is known as the Great Commission. If you're somebody who's grown up in the church, again, it's a well-known text to you. To you. If you're somebody who has not grown up in the church and, and faith is something that is new to you or you're exploring, I would encourage you to become familiar with this text as it points to the central mandate of a believer, the central mandate of the church. So imagine that somebody came back from the dead to speak to you and to give you final instructions. How closely would you listen And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, oh, by the way, you need to kind of finish what I started. Now, okay, he didn't say exactly that, but it was sort of something like that. Let's read the text together. It says in verse 16 of Matthew 28, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here in these few short verses, it captures so much about what discipleship is. And I think probably many people read this and they think, well, that's, that's really good for pastors and missionaries, for people like Trevor and Joan and, and pastors and others like that to do this, to live this out and so on and so forth. But do you ever think that these instructions are for you? I hope you do. Because they are. They're for all of us. It is the call of the church. The church is not to be a spectator sport. It's the living, acting body of Christ called to God's mission together. We need to know that if all we do is show up, sit in, sit in pews and give some money and maybe watch others do ministry, hoping that we leave inspired or fed or whatever you want to call it, we have really lost sight of what Jesus has called the church to be and to do. And so today's text, I think, gives more depth and insight into discipleship than we often attribute. I want to go back and just look at each of these verses individually and and pull out some more specific things. I'm thankful in all of the English translations that I looked at of the Bible that the Great Commission or the heading that is given before this section is given before verse 16. So verse 16 to the end, therefore, I, I look at that and go, that's included as all part of this Great Commission. 
And it says, then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 16 points to this fundamental fact that discipleship happens in community. There's this group of disciples who Jesus had been with, and now they're called to this mountain, and they go, and they go to meet with Jesus. And there's this group of disciples that were part of this discipling context and community. And we know that we live in a, in a culture that is very individualistic. We're pushed to be individuals. We're pushed to view everything from a, our own viewpoint, our own standpoint. And yet here in this text, it reminds us again about the importance of community. And also, we are to read Scripture in the context of community far more than we do. But that we are called to be engaged in the real lives of others. And Jesus modeled this. These disciples, they had experienced the kingdom together. As Jesus called people out of darkness and into the light, they, they watched and they participated and they walked on water, they fed the masses, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, they were put in situations by Jesus where they were called to respond by faith. Or they could shrink back in fear. It was their choice. But the discipleship that Jesus led them in and modeled for them was always in the context of community. Jesus modeled, he taught them, and they were to follow. They also withdrew together for times of rest and prayer. They also spent time as Jesus, the master, washed their feet. And modeled something unbelievably profound about the love of Christ. It seemed like Jesus' model was, in many ways, this train deployed debrief. He would train them and model things, and then, and then he would send them out. He would deploy them for ministry, and then they would come back, and they would debrief. And they would sort of talk and evaluate that. That happened many times that we see in Scripture, but it happened in the context of community. But you know what? We see another aspect of community in this verse as well, too. Because it says there was only 11 wasn't there 12? When I look at that, I, I'm reminded that community is made up of broken and sinful people. Community is also made up with people who sometimes just rub us the wrong way as well, that we struggle with. We see this in the competitive, competitiveness of the disciples. Jesus saw that as they argued about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus saw that in the denial of Peter. He saw that in the outright betrayal of Judas. And the reason why Judas was no longer with them, because of betraying Jesus and eventually killing himself. So now there's only 11. And it reminds me that even Jesus did discipleship in broken community. Even Jesus did discipleship in a context that had a lot of challenges and the sinfulness of man was very evident. And yet he entrusted the great commission to this group. It's astounding. I think it can be a great encouragement to us. In verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but then some of them doubted. Still that word, again, pointing again to the humanness, this mixture of worship and doubt, the humanness of discipleship that often go hand in hand, and how our worship is often a weapon against our doubt. Sometimes, as we've talked about, we sing songs that we, as we look at the words, we wonder, can I actually sing that? But these are declarations of faith against the doubt that might be there in our hearts. And it's part of discipleship. And we see that even here with these disciples. And if you remember the story of Thomas, and it's recorded in John chapter 20, where where Thomas, he needed more evidence. He needed more uh, proof that Jesus was alive. Because it says in, in John 20, verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came, and they said, we've seen the Lord. But he said, I won't believe it unless I can see it for myself. Put my wounds in his 
my uh, hands in his nail wounds and my fingers in them and placed my hand in the wound in his side. And then eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in my side, and don't be faithless any longer. What does Thomas do? He worships. He says, my Lord and my God. And so there's this place of worship and doubt. I think discipleship happens in a community where there is a safe place for worship and doubt to coexist. It's part of how we walk together in community. We also see in verse 18 the authority that comes from Jesus. Then Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. Therefore. Therefore. And he gives them this commission, this response that they're called to. You know, Jesus is the focal point of discipleship. But we need to know that there is power and authority that is being conferred here to the church and to those disciples, to his followers, but that he is the source. And part of our discipleship is understanding our authority in Christ. We need to know and we need to live out of this discipleship, or out of this authority that has been given by Jesus. Just have a look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, where Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's, he's speaking about this authority of Christ and this authority that has been given to them because of that. And, and Paul says, I pray, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Then in Romans Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul speaks to this here as well. And he says, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. So we see in this text that part of this call to discipleship is to understand the authority that we have been given in Jesus Christ. That he is the source of that, that he has given that to the church. And then he says, therefore, therefore go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, as he calls them to. Out of this authority, Jesus commands and commissions these disciples to go. He says to them that you need to go and baptize. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. I think discipleship happens as we are willing to go to places that we haven't been before. To have our mind changed and transformed, as it says in Romans chapter 12, to a new worldview that is the lens of God instead of our own selfish lens. It's a change of thinking. We go by intentional actions that are different than some of the earthly patterns that we have developed. And you need to know that we worship a God who never changes, and yet a God who seems to keep changing everything. It's called transformation. 
calls us to that. He invites us to that. He gives us the power to that because of the cross and what Jesus has done for us. And so to go is at the very heart of discipleship. To be willing to leave our comfort and our complacency, whatever that means for us, and to invite others along as well. You know, when Jesus did discipleship, as you look at his pattern with his disciples, it happened in so many different ways. You look at John chapter 9, verse 1, where he healed, or in John chapter 9, he heals the blind man. And, and that chapter begins with these four words, as he walked along. As he walked along, Jesus encountered a blind man. And then the whole rest of this story unfolds from this interruption in Jesus' ministry, interruption. And so part of how we go is just a willingness to go in the moment each day. Okay, God, how are you sending me today? What are the interruptions in my schedule today that you are calling me to? How is it that you are calling me to go today in the midst of my schedule? But then if you look at, at Luke chapter 10, where you see Jesus sending out the 72, he gives very specific instructions. It's really different in that, in that case because he gives specifics and details. He sends them in pairs and he says, you need to go in this way and, and tells them what they can bring along and what they shouldn't bring along. He tells them you need to stay in one place for a season he tells them that you need to receive hospitality if people feed you and so on. He tells them what to do if people don't receive them. And he gives them all kinds of details and instructions in discipleship. So that says to me that discipleship for us requires the willingness to lay down our own schedules and agendas for others when God calls us to do that. But discipleship is also the intentionality of putting things into our schedules and into our agendas and into our budgets for the sake of the kingdom. With the very intentionality and specifics that Jesus did as he sent his disciples out. So my question is, how will God call you to go this fall? How is God calling you to go right now in this season of your life when it comes to discipleship in terms of following him and calling others to follow as well? And one of those areas might be in the area of baptism. It says that right here in this text. He says, you know what? You need to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism was this central piece that was an unmistakable step of discipleship in Jesus' mind. And sometimes we maybe feel like we can minimize it, but we can't. It wasn't optional for Jesus. He was baptized and he called others to follow him. In the early church, it was this unmistakable act that marked a person, a follower of Jesus. It signaled their identity uh, in the reality of, of, of who Jesus was and how Jesus went down to the grave and then up with a resurrected body. And that powerful picture of being immersed in water and then coming up to new life. The old is gone and the new has come. And that time, and even today, it often it marked them for persecution and sometimes even martyrdom. So baptism is this declaration of a person's life and identity and the priorities that are centered on Jesus and his mission. And it's an entry point. It's not a graduation point. And so my encouragement to you is maybe this is an area that God is calling you to go in this next season. It's time to be baptized. It's time to declare that statement of discipleship. And then lastly, in verse 20, he says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Obey all the commands. Obedience is so at the core of discipleship. It's not just this intellectual head knowledge of understanding what Scripture says, but it's walking out this obedience to what we already know, the known will of God, and to walking out with boldness and with faith. 
I think of the disciple John who wrote John's gospel and, and for the letter First John that we were in a series of not, not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. And over and over again, you see in John's writing, the one who is probably the closest to this great discipler, Jesus, who he calls people to obedience over and over again. And he says, you know what? If you love Jesus, you will obey him. In fact, if you don't obey him, it proves that you don't love him. These go hand in hand. And so if you want to follow, you need to obey. And so obedience is so central. As disciples, we walk in obedience. And then Jesus says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that truth that Jesus says, I am with you always. That as we go in discipleship, that Jesus' presence is with us. That as he is preparing his disciples even here for his departure, he's saying, I will give you my Holy Spirit and it will be within you and among you and you will do greater things. And I find that great word of encouragement that we don't go alone, we go with others and we go with the Spirit of Jesus Christ himself. So how will you be more intentional in discipleship this fall? I would encourage you to to memorize these steps. Again, not that they're perfect, but I think you'll find them helpful and challenging for each one of us to say, okay, how, how can we do this increasingly in our lives? How am I being discipled by others? Uh, talk about it within your small groups. Talk about it within your families. Talk about it within your different settings and then take a step. It might be as simple as creating a safe community for people to talk. Maybe it's asking better questions when you're with people. Maybe it's being a better listener when you ask those good questions. Maybe it's learning to tell your story. Maybe it's taking a class. Maybe it's going on a short-term missions project. Maybe it's joining in with Alpha, hosting a table, inviting people, whatever it is. What is the risk of obedience that God is calling you to and that we would walk in that? You know, the greatest journey that you will ever go on is this journey of discipleship with Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to reflect on what God is speaking into your spirit today about how you would step in obedience to him. As the worship team comes up, would you stand with me as I just conclude our time in prayer? So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the powerful words that are found in this great commission. And Lord, we just confess that this comes as a great challenge, but also an inspiring picture of what you have called us to. And Lord, I pray that as a church, as a body of believers and as individuals, Lord, that we would be intentional about discipleship, especially as we think about this fall and what lies ahead for us, Lord. Would you lead us, God, and would you just show us the next step that we are to take? And Father, we just thank you for the work of the cross and the power of your Holy Spirit within us, and that because of that, we walk in this authority and in this calling. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us more effective disciples for you, And lead us, Lord. We want to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.